Hey folks, welcome to episode number 10 of Josh's Worst Nightmare, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I am your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we've got Joy Yaley. Joy is a dark fiction and horror author based in Castle Rock, Colorado. Growing up, she was surrounded by otherworldly tales told by her dad and other family members, and a love for the darker things solidly took root. Joy is a member of the Horror Authors Guild and Denver Horror Collective. She has short stories in both DHC anthologies, Terror at 5280, and Consumed Tales Inspired by the Wendigo. In addition to her first novel, Dread, she hosts a horror fiction podcast, The Burial Plot, with fellow DHC member Brenda Tolian. Welcome to my nightmare, Joy. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Glad I could haunt you in your nightmare. This is fun. Indeed. Well, for folks who've never listened before, for every episode, I invite on horror creators, usually horror authors, to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which in my definition is living creatures, vital processes, something that might be relevant to their writing or their field of interest. So for this episode, I consulted with Joy and she decided on werewolves. So why why werewolves, Joy? Well, you know, I've always kind of felt like I had an affinity for wolves. Um, when I was a little kid, probably like four or five years old, and this is a probably one of my first really vivid memories, um, my brother, older brother, convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt that on the next full moon, I would become a werewolf. And I was so convinced that it was true that on the day of the full moon, we were coming into our house, we'd been somewhere and I was with my dad and I looked up at the full moon and I was like, dad, are my forearms getting hairy? And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, well, my brother said that I'm going to turn into a werewolf. And he was got really angry. He's like, you are not going to turn into a werewolf. Well, I had a mixture of relief and extreme disappointment. I was so convinced that I was going to turn into a werewolf. And I was like thinking of all the cool things I was going to do as a werewolf. Um, one of not which was going to be to run to our school and climb to the top of this hill that we're not allowed. We weren't allowed to be on because it was supposedly a dangerous hill. Well, as a werewolf, I was going to run to the top of that hill and howl at the moon. So I was very disappointed that I did not become a werewolf. But ever since then, I've always had kind of an affinity to wolves. I know you we're not on video, but behind me, you can see the portrait in my office and it's three wolves. I call those the Trinity of terror. Mm, <laughs> nice. And at one point, my husband and I had a dog that was uh, a wolf hybrid dog. And she was always my favorite dog, I think, that mm -hmm. we've ever owned. But um, I've always had some kind of affinity for them. So that's probably why I think I like werewolves. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think it's really interesting because so wolves, dogs, in a sense, they're the animal species that we get along with best, right? Maybe not the wild wolves, but we domesticated them and they're, they're wolves. They're basically dogs are just permanent grown up puppies. Wolf puppies is basically what they are. Right. And so we have that aspect, right? And then we have the werewolves, which we're, we're kind of afraid of. So I wonder what that, that connection is. So our love of, 
our love of dogs and we think wolves are so beautiful and most people aren't really afraid of wolves and there's not really a great reason to be afraid of wolves but the idea of a werewolf is pretty horrifying that's probably one of the scariest monsters i would say so what about a werewolf that makes it so scary to us well i think it's got to do with that deep down fear that we all have of ourselves and the wild dark part of ourselves that's there um, the wolf gives you permission to let that part out and be unapologetic about it mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like you know you're in line at the grocery store and somebody cuts you off or is rude and your first instinct is mm, you want to jump back at them but you don't because you're a part of polite society the wolf would give you permission to rip their throat out mm-hmm which maybe secretly we all wish to do that from time to time. And the wolf does it all the time. And it's not a moral objective for the wolf. It's just the way the wolf is. It's instinct. It's just how they are. Right. So there's no morality to it. And so it sort of gives you the permission for that wild part of you to come out. Um, I think some of the earliest werewolf stories uh, that I'm aware of were, you know, one folklore from Ireland where St. Patrick would turn people into werewolves as punishment for not turning into Christians, mm. for not converting. And then they would be cursed to turn into werewolves periodically throughout the year. And they would be denied the Eucharist during the time that they were a wolf as punishment. Right. So I think, I think somehow that touches into that deep primal part of us where we want to be wild and savage yeah. without any more repercussion. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally relevant because it's not a, necessarily about this other monster. It's ourselves we're afraid of. It's losing control and that can be representative of it. Because if we were going to pick monsters to be afraid of that have relevance, it would be basically big cats, right? When we evolved those were the things that hunted and killed us, like pretty much all right. Rarely, maybe a cave bear by accident if you got in the wrong place. Wolves, almost never, but cats used to eat us. So you would think they'd be more like into like a were cat as a thing that frightens us, but it's because it's not about them, it's about us. I like that take on it. Yeah, I mean, and there are cultures that do have were cats. Right. Um, I think it's China that has were cats, but mm -hmm. um, mostly in the European uh, continent in the North and North America, it's it's the wolf. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a f there is a fair amount of irrational fear of wolves. We're seeing it pick up a little bit here in Colorado now that, well, we both have wolves coming back in from different directions from the north, the the gray wolf, I believe. And then it's the the Mexican, well, the Mexican gray wolf from the south might be coming in. It's it's trying to get in. And then there's the reintroduction. So we have folks who have legitimate, well, I don't want to say legitimate fear, but to themselves, it feels legitimate, right? They're just genuinely afraid of things in nature and all that, which statistically speaking, that pretty much never happens, but in terms of uh, wild wolf attack. But there's also playing up on it because of well, certain rancher interests and, and, and right. hunter interests and stuff like that. So would you say that, 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 
fear of nature thing ties into it as well, or you, you think it's mostly the idea of just that internal, that internal transformation that's that gets us about werewolves. I think it's both. I mean, I, I really believe the internal fear is really strong, but the fear of nature and things we can't control, that there's still something lurking out in the dark that wants to eat us. I mean, yep. I think that's just such a universal um, primal fear that all humans carry. And for whatever reason, the wolf is the symbol of that. Yeah. And unfortunately so, because I think that as an animal, the wolf is persecuted yeah. sometimes unfairly. Sure. Yeah. Mostly if you look at the statistics in terms of the amount of say sheep or cows that wolves kill, it's, it's hardly anything. And the number one killer is actually weather. <laughs> and then number two is dogs. So like normal right. dogs. So if you look at all those aspects, but yeah, it could be this, this fear of the wild nature as well, or just the dislike of it or the idea that it takes away from the order. But yeah, for me, Wolves are definitely not on my list of things that I'm that I'm personally afraid of. Um, I guess in terms of werewolves, you had mentioned before you had some fear of it, and also here's cool. So, what is an actual downside of being a werewolf? Well, I would think like the actual physical transformation would be painful. Good point. For one thing, the other thing would be like, would you maintain your humanity? Or would your humanity go out the window and now you are a wolf um, who would, you know, I'm going to eat my own little cat, right? That's sitting on my couch if I become the werewolf. Um, would I kill my family members? Would I would I be in control of myself? I think it goes back to the loss of control. Or would you just be running on instinct like an actual animal? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably what's the scariest thing. But the physical, like I know you've seen it in movies, the physical yeah. transformations, that doesn't look like it's a fun thing to have all of your bones break and rearrange themselves spontaneously or the growth of the teeth that would hurt. <laughs> That's a good point. All that stuff. It never looks pleasant in some of those films. We'll see, because that's the most iconic aspects is really tends to be the films, right? right? You see the elongation of the snout, that must hurt. Even growing all that hair all, all hair at once. And the claws. Probably, it's probably very yeah. uncomfortable at the very least. And yeah, the bones are re reassembling. And I mean, they get all giant and muscular. I don't even know how that works <laughs> biologically, where you just grow all this muscle mass all of a sudden, and they grow in size, but it happens, so... It's biological too. So, cause it's, and that's the combination, the crossover of biological and supernatural. And that's kind of the spot I actually like the most. So for biological horror, a lot of people will frame that as just, Oh, you're just talking about disease or some chemical thing. And they're like, well, that's one version of it for sure. And then there's just pure supernatural. Like is a ghost biological, like there can be biological aspects of it potentially if you're talking about, ectoplasm or whatever sure. but with a wolf with a werewolf it is that combination of there's there's actual physical body horror and things going on with your physical self and then there's clearly a supernatural element so that's really that sweet spot yeah i like that sweet spot too that's one of my favorites actually that weird supernatural where you can't control it or stop it or avoid it or protect yourself from it right right it just is and so with the myth of the werewolf, it's typically, or maybe it's true, I don't know, 
but what people call a myth of the werewolf. So you get bitten and you then turn into a werewolf. It is similar to the vampire in that sense. So there is that contagion aspect. But then, like you said, there are other aspects of your bad Christian. And you, so how else can people turn into werewolves? Well, the whole thing about being bitten by a wolf, um, all of that, like the the mainstream beliefs about werewolves all really came from the 1941 movie, The Wolfman, um, which was written by Kurt Seidemark, I believe is his name. He made up all that stuff just on the fly when he wrote the the movie, right? right? So in folklore, you become a wolf by making a pact with the devil, obviously, you know, which is or uh, ointments which could make you an ointment that you could rub on your body and it would turn you into a werewolf uh, you could have a um a magical pelt that you could put on and you would become that animal or a, a magical belt or a piece of clothing that would transform you um so different things from history but the most common one that's accepted by people in the folklore or the lore of the werewolf is definitely uh being bitten or scratched by a wolf kind of right. the, and i like that you say it's contagion because that is kind of what it is when that happens for sure and that gives even a more of a scary overtone especially over the last couple of years since we've lived through this pandemic right. where you know you're doing everything you can to protect yourself against a contagion but here's something that just has to touch you scratch you and now you've got it you know and there's nothing you can do about it there's no vaccine there's no antibiotic there's nothing um, and it's just going to overtake you at some point. Right. And it's like that viral component where one werewolf or a wolf or whatever bites one person and then that person can spread more versus the dead end. Well, which, which do you think is more scary? Do you think that that ever producing aspect of it? What's, what's your ideal world for werewolf, how that all spreads? Well, I think part of my, my uh, thoughts about the werewolf. Um, my grandpa is Chiricahua Apache. So I grew up hearing stories about shapeshifters and skinwalkers, that kind of thing. And it's a little bit, it's similar but different than uh, the werewolf. The skinwalker is really uh, someone that's gone through the training to be a healer, to be a medicine person, and they become corrupted by the power of it and they turn to evil and they can disguise themselves as any animal to go off and do their nefarious work. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember being a pretty little kid sitting around a campfire and my grandpa telling us a story about the way you tell a shapeshifter from a real animal is a shapeshifter's eyes won't reflect light. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me forever. Honestly, it still does stick with me. And sometimes I'll look at people and they'll be like, Hmm, your eyes reflect light or not but um so there's that whole part of it where it's more of like a almost a corruption of a person and to where they can't contain the darkness any longer sort of like you know some serial killers um through the centuries have claimed to be werewolves or been attributed to that um, I think in France in the 1500s, there was something like 30,000 people that were tried as werewolves and burned at the stake. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. So I think it's a corruption of the good of that a person is. Sure. So I don't, you know, like in the werewolf movie, the human wolf man was a very compassionate, kind.
and you relish in the bloodlust. I think that's even scarier. That's almost more like a serial killer type. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that all those werewolves were burned alongside the witches. That was a craze, like not just witches, but werewolves. And a lot of those, I think, were probably men as well. So a lot of most witches were women. There were male witches also burned, but I believe most of the werewolves were men. It's mostly you know male. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So it's like, why is why is that the the assumption because it's that primal like it's pretty sexist to think that a woman can't become a marauding beast and kill people too i think that's sexist against women it is but i think it goes back to sort of the old uh stereotypes of men and women right that women were nurturers we take care of things we don't go out and destroy but i think there was a story about a nobleman's wife and it might have been in the 15th century might be sooner but um, he had a friend coming to visit and he was attacked by a wolf in the forest of surrounding the home and he fought off the wolf and chopped off its paw and he oh. put the paw in a bag and he comes to the man's home and he's relating the story to him and he opens the bag and it's no longer a paw but a woman's hand with a wedding band on it and the man recognizes the wedding band and he runs upstairs and finds his wife bandaging her arm where her hand has been cut off and so she admits to being a werewolf and is put to death immediately. So. Oh, wow. Yikes. <laughs> I see. So I, I, I like that kind of bedtime story, actually. <laughs> like, <Sure>. ooh, scary. <laughs> and uh, I want to ask you in a second about how this ties into your writing, but I just had a question that occurred to me, and I'm going to put you on the spot with this one. If okay. you knew for a fact that someone who was a werewolf, let's say it doesn't even have to be your friend, just somebody you know, and they go out werewolfing, but do they kill people? I don't know. This is what makes, would you, would you tell anyone knowing that there, they would have to end up killing the werewolf? Like where would your allegiance be? They're not, <laughs> they don't kill any. Let's just say that this okay. werewolf only kills cows for whatever reason. It's a, it's a reformed werewolf. <laughs> well, my loyalty would lie with my pack. That's fair. Yeah, that's reasonable. I support that. Well, that's a good answer. So in terms of your writing, how have you incorporated this? How do you plan to incorporate werewolves? Well, I have um, a series. It'll be serialized. I'm going to try it on the new Amazon Vela platform. And it's more, it's not really a traditional werewolf story, but it does have aspects of werewolfism where it's more of, um, instead of turning into werewolves, people are more doing things with stem cells uh, to prolong life for themselves, kind of a thing at the expense of uh, poor people, basically, is how that world works. Um, mm -hmm. So they're not really turning into werewolves, but they're turning into something that's not entirely human. Mm. And then I have a novel that I'm working on that is strictly a werewolf novel, it's just kind of in the development stages right now, but um, I read a story quite a while ago by Anaya Alhorn, and I don't remember the name of this short story, but it's about a, a female werewolf who's trying to be human, and she's like hiding, you know, in society, trying to keep that part of herself secret. Well, I always thought, well, what would happen if you had a person who was a werewolf? and was very, very happy about being a werewolf, 
but suddenly found that they couldn't keep all the werewolf aspects hidden all the time, even when they were human. So they start doing weird wolf things like trying to sniff people or, you know, marking territory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and what would happen? Who would notice? Uh, what if their bloodlust got the better of them and they they were to try human flesh and they liked it? Then what are they going to do? Because they don't want to eat their neighbor, right? Or their house cat. Right. So what would happen if they start to lose? And again, it goes back to the fear of losing control. What if they lose control of their wolfness? So, you know, sometimes in the movies, the wolf will be like, you have to chain me up in the cell and don't let me out until the full moon has passed. But what if you don't like to be chained up, but all of a sudden you realize that you've maybe you've let the animal run wild a little too much and now you can't rein it back in. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I wonder if they can devise some sort of, shock collar for for werewolves though bad dog <laughs> just have it on it and then it's just anytime it it's similar to a bark collar but it's like when it goes after people it, i think there'd be a way of solving it which wouldn't wouldn't just be too hard good training right good good training yeah what is the cure to not neither of us are experts i think on werewolves here but in terms of cure it seems as if in most cases it's incurable right Yes, it, it in most cases it's terminal, right? Because eventually someone has to destroy the wolf. Okay. Um, there's legend that say only a loved one can do it. it has to be the one to kill you. Um, silver bullets, um, decapitation. <laughs> right. All of those kinds of things. But always the end of the story is somebody has to kill the wolf. But why can't they just relocate it? And if you're a werewolf, you not you can live off of non-human meat. I just feel like there are ways around this that we could rethink. Okay, well, for instance, I, I raise German shepherds. Okay. And train German shepherds. And right now I have an 85-pound baby mm-hmm. who thinks she's a lap dog and whatever. But we were told by the breeder, do not like people have put their dogs on these human food diets. He's like, whatever you do, do not give this German shepherd red meat. Okay. Cooked or otherwise, don't do it. And he was explaining to us that he had a female that um, they were feeding her like broiled steak or something part as part of her diet. And it literally made her aggressive and angry. And she was really difficult to train. And I've noticed with mine, if she does happen to sneak a little bit of your hamburger, she'll get really weird about it. Huh? Really weird. So we don't feed her raw meat um, ever. I know some people do feed their animals that, but we don't with ours because she's 85 pounds of pure killing, you know? And when we were first training them, uh, one of the things that our breeder told us too, is that, you know, you've got an 85 pound lethal weapon at the end of your leash. Make sure you can control it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think you could maybe train the werewolf, but there's always going to be that little part of him. That's still a wolf. That's a good point. So also if they get that taste for human meat is what you're saying. It might just won't. be too much. But it might be too much. But what's so great about human meat? Like I don't even think we're that compared to a cow that's bred on grass <laughs> and and like I think human meat human meat is is not as good tasting. We we eat all sorts of weird things, like maybe like a like a grass-grown vegetarian hippie, maybe that would be better meat. But 
I feel like there's just some holes in the why the human blood is so great compared to other blood and flesh. And I just wish. Well, I, would... I think it has more to do with, um, you know, we're supposed to be the top of the food chain, right? Oh, yeah. And then when we're not, that's really scary. So that's like, true. sharks, they don't necessarily, you know, they don't go hunting for humans. They no. just happen to get one once in a while. Same with alligators. Well, I, maybe an alligator would hunt you. I'm not sure about that yeah. one, but um and like you said, there's never actually been a documented case of a wolf in the wild hunting and attacking a human for food right. ever that I'm right. aware of. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. So there's that. But I think it just has to do with more threatening the humans as they're not yeah. the top of the food chain any longer. Right. So now now you're not only you're not in control, right. but now you're on the grocery menu. Yeah. Humans as food. I mean, a lot of places around the world in tiger country that's still kind of run of the mill and that's why i be afraid of cats don't be afraid of dogs that's the moral <laughs> of this really i mean little cats i mean they're cute i'm you know whether a dog or cat person i actually like and appreciate both but if one is going to kill you it's it, or it could get away with it or wants to it's your cat i mean definitely things, my cat they're, they're no. monsters I agree completely. I'm pretty sure that the cat just looks at all of us, including the dogs, as meals that haven't dropped yet. And if they That's were it. giant, like if those cats were two or three sizes bigger the way they used to be, they would definitely eat us. I mean, just look in their <laughs> eyes, the intelligence in their cat's eyes versus like the dull sheen in a dog, nothing against dogs, but they're definitely <laughs> dumbed down wolves. And German shepherds are a lot closer to the wolves. So they're very intelligent animals but they're still they're perennial puppies they're they're just looking to please and and stuff like that so yeah i'm just trying to encourage people to be more afraid of cats and to remember that all the monsters in the dark that we think about it's cats that that's what killed us throughout our entire prehistory was saber-toothed tigers stalking and hunting and killing us that's true so what if you had uh where cats and werewolves in your neighborhood, right? Who would have your back? Who would have? I like to think they'd all be on my side. So I don't, <laughs> so I don't know how else to answer that. But yeah, I don't. And who would win in fights? Well, yeah, okay. So that's. I was going to ask you another who would win in fight. So let's conclude the podcast with two with a two part question. So okay. the first part is. Where cats versus werewolves, they're the same size. We got to obviously have them the same size. They, they weigh the same. They're in the same weight class, right? So yeah. basically, I mean, I would picture a, a mountain lion werecat rather than a tabby werecat. So okay. mountain lion werecat and a werewolf. And they're both, however, it doesn't matter. They could be one foot tall or eight feet tall. They're the same size. Who would win? I would have to put my money on the were mountain lion, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got teeth and claws that are made for digging in and ripping shit out of you. Um, the were dog or the werewolf would probably put up a pretty good fight. If he could get his mouth on the uh, cat's neck and rip out his throat, he might mm -hmm. be okay. Right. But the cat would go for the eyes. So once you lose your eyes, it's hard to fight. So I'd have to go with the stinking were cougar or whatever. 
were cougar. Even though this <laughs> this podcast is all about werewolves, we decided they are not the they are not, not the, the alpha food chain, not the alpha predator. It's the were cats. But all right, let's take it into interspecies: werewolf versus a vampire. But I guess there's lots of different kinds of vampires, right? Like the super super magic-y ones, not the ones I can go like da 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 and make magic things with their fingers, but like a like a no. I mean, they could fly around. Definitely not a vampire that can do the whole. Um, what do they call it? Telekinesis. That's not fair. So a non-telekinetic vampire versus a werewolf. Yeah, that's uh, there is a like a lore, right? That um, there's like an ever never-ending war between vampires and werewolves. Yeah. Or that werewolves are the slaves of vampires or whatever. Um, I would like to say the werewolf and only I say that because I don't know if vampires necessarily hang out in packs, yeah. but I would assume a werewolf would. Good point. And so you've got not just one werewolf to deal with, but several. Oh yeah. Good point. But I don't know. I mean, the only way you can kill a vampire is at a stake through the heart. Yeah. I mean, but if a were if it ate every piece of a vampire, right? Like that vampire would like, what happens there? They're, they're probably <laughs> Are now I still? have vampire werewolves. Yeah, I guess. Werewolves that have to suck your blood, but they can only do it like every full moon or something, or every new moon they suck your blood, and on the full moon they turn into a werewolf. That would be very complicated, but I would like to see that, though. That's got some possibilities. I might have to make a note of that and see what happens. You'd also have a werewolf that would live forever. Right. That would be another problem. Yeah. They'd be ancient and they'd know all kinds of stuff. They can't blend in as well. Well, in the midst of their changes, they can't, but otherwise. Well, well, that's that's a fascinating thing to ponder. Uh, <laughs> so in conclusion, where can folks find your work, Joy? Uh, you can just go to my website, which is www.joyyaley.com. And that's Y-E-H-L-E. Excellent. Well, I was so glad to have you on the podcast and... Thanks for being here and talking about werewolves with me. Thanks, Josh. I enjoyed it. It was good to see you. You too. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, Be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.